And why I would like to step aside now and introduce this next speaker in the presence of uh, uh, Ade, I mean, Ade B, come up and uh, start with the proper uh, presentation of the topic. Thank you. Good afternoon, class. And good afternoon, ma. My name is Ade um, I'll be speaking on the concept of space planning, when it is required. What is so, to start with, we'd like to define what the space is, what the planning space means. Space may be defined as any portion of an entire facility, of the interior, the exterior. Um, planning space has been um, relevant um, since a very long time. And um, it's, from our research, it's assumed that the, the space planning assumed very real relevance when it comes to retail spacing and corporate real estate. Can you please try um, The concept of space planning largely is micro, um, micro and macro. And um, micro speaks to um, determining the amount of partitioning of a place, um, the size of each partition, and the likes of it. While macro speaks more of uh, the uh, layout of the space, something of that uh, of that um, aspect. When I go on to um, the Method of space planning to understand more of micro and macro. Um, basically, the, the essence of space planning um, rotates around about three or four um, aspects. Major of them is the adjacency of space. When you talk about adjacency when in space planning, it basically talks about. Um, the need for pleasant view, need for natural light, um, production of noise sensitivity to noise, and the likes of it. Another important aspect of space planning speaks to um, flow efficiency. That is, as it relates to space of similar activities, the need for facilities and materials. So I move on to why space planning is required. Hello, am I on with class? You are on, on. Okay. I'm going to why, why, when space planning is required. Space planning is required for many reasons, but to name a few very popular and uh, relevant ones, it is uh, um, changing space and occupancy need of the business, responding to end user's requirements, providing and maintaining and managing the work environment across multiple space and location and ergonomics so that the classes of uh, space planning when we decide to put them together. So I move on to the last aspect of the which is the benefit of space planning. The first benefit of space planning is um, presentation of space wastage. Um, planning helps to present waste. However, that one may want to see planning project planning, what cost planning, whatever. And same with space planning. Here, I gave an example 
of where um, space can be minimized for individual storage. There are different kinds of spaces. There are sometimes you may the work may require individual persons to have their spaces. There are sometimes it may be an open space for a number of workers. It is at the space planning level that those are decided. And even when a need comes for additional number of persons to occupy a space, there won't be any immediate need to really expand the circumference of that space because they have been catered for and there have been a focus of, of uh, such a space use in the program of the space plan. The second is growth plan. A good design will plan for growth. There is no design that is void of growth that is a good one. And so, uh, space planning helps to uh, for growth when especially probably for an organization who is just starting up and who is uh, probably expanding at the startup level when the space planning is done is done in such a way that when the organization expands beyond its present status quo uh, things don't have to really change like disruptions don't need to happen before uh, they cater for the new growth they are experiencing. By space planning, those things are already made and forecasted in the plan. Then it's also good, I'll go to the third reason, it's also good for the client's first impression. And uh, by that, anybody who steps into a space or a, take for instance a retail shop, I really understands what it is to, for a space planning to be well uh, organized. Because when you enter into a retail store, a very long space, a very wide space, you will be able to de uh, determine already how uh, the organization works because it speaks to the organization. I mean, how they organize their activities and how their workers are organized. Lastly, I mean, fourthly, is the productive workers. If you consider the adjacency and uh, similar use space earlier discussed, uh, workers who have related activities are planned together and who or whether their operations uh, machine I also plan in such a way whereby they, they, are, they experience efficiency and they don't have to probably go to a very far depart, a department that they need so much at a very far dis, uh, distance to get what they need. Economy speaks of um, uh, um, what you call a fitness or your sitting position in workplace, uh, your laptop, how efficient they are, visibility and the likes of it. It speaks to your human physique and how your workplace uh, posture is affected. Under good space planning, that is also catastrophic. Lastly, uh, building code concentration. Space planning helps to, in building code, for example, there are areas that are slippery. The kind of finishing that should be done there should be finishing that should, you know, uh, not encourage anybody sleeping uh, or falling on that kind of places. There are areas that uh, have lightning issues and um, many other kind of issues. Ventilation, all those things. With other space planning, these are the, the space is planned in such a way that the building meets. So that will be off my
allocate this thing now. Yes, I'm waiting for the next presenter to continue. I didn't hear me, it's true. Okay, um, the next presenter, we have a... Uh, hello? Can you hear me? Hello? Yes. Who can hear you, ma? Okay. Good afternoon, ma. Good afternoon, everyone. I'll be talking on the step process required in space planning. As we all know, the importance of space planning in an organization. Therefore, effort must be made in proper planning of an office space. There are certain steps that must be followed when planning an office space. And these steps are data gathering. Data gathering, one of the steps, step, the first step is data gathering. The data gathering is very charming in space planning process. As this, we provide information on what is needed to be planned on, how, for whom, and for what purpose. Information or data gathered are on three things. The first thing is on the objective of the organization, which could be to achieve ample and well utilized space, objective workflow, employee comfort and satisfaction, or good impression of customers, and so on. Also, data must be gathered on the needs for the space planning, which will be due to changing production procedure, expansion or contraction. Why the third item to collect information on is the requirement of the users, organization, and the operation. And this list gets the information on the requirement of different work-based tools, like workspace, Furniture requirements for end users, flexible breakout area for informal meeting, catering facility, dedicated area for collaboration, dedicated areas for concentration and noise free working area, IT intensive areas such as data centers. After gathering the data, data must be analyzed. <coughs> And in analyzing the data, there are certain tools that can be used, such as rough sketch, showing the shape and size of the available area, the blueprint of the available area, scale drawing of the first piece, and templates, the models of physical properties, such as desks, chairs, and files, positioning them in the appropriate place in order to ensure you are doing the right thing, then, in order to ensure layout that enhance stammer and acoustic comfort and encourage the users to avoid prolonged sitting, there are certain steps that must be followed or principles that can be adopted, like positioning the copy area or the equipment in the dedicated area designed to minimize noise intrusion into the workplace area and uh, with suitable extra ventilation to dissipate ample pollutants. Then, position of workstations near to the windows to maximize daylight and minimize energy consumption. Then, by positioning any meeting rooms and under 
use drones towards the block blade block to optimize benefits of daylight permanent workspace. Then, positioning of socializing areas away from open working space in order to minimize noise and odor. Then, provide sound treated breakout area adjacent to open plan areas to reduce noise and disturbances. After proper analysis of the data, the next thing is to coordinate the layers. There must be integration and the coordination between the base build, the layout, and the services. The manager must ensure, must encourage more of natural daylight and uh, reduce energy consumption in order to save costs. Also, workspace with interdependent roads should be located close to each other in order to reduce the travel time and to coordinate monitoring. Maximize use of daylight in general this area to reduce artificial lighting, positioning highly intensive ICT and is generating kitchen equipment in enclosed, controlled and ventilated areas to help management of complete the conscious of time. Okay, okay, okay. The last stage is that the manager must build in adaptability into the base planning because there might be need for expansion or contraction in the future. And the principle that can be used in adaptability is by using relocating body mounted partitioning, sound treated body partitioning in larger meeting rooms to allow for subdivision, then undertaking periodic evaluation of layout utilization and the user's feedback. Thank you. Next. So the next passive place, um, are they more proper? Adi, you want to hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Can you hear me, please? Yes, but please, louder. The voice is low, please. Can you hear me now, please? I'm Mary, you want to hear me again? I'm talking on new environment. I hear you, but your voice is very low, so stay closer to your mic. So I'll be talking on work trends, new work trends, and flexibility of the office. Um, basically, um, because of the we can't hear you, please. You are still very low. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Basically, because of. The pandemic, so many things has changed with the work trends. So, because of the pandemic, a whole lot of things has changed and has been put in place. I'll be talking majorly on four, on five subheadings as regards the new work trends that that are now up because of that came up because of the pandemic, basically. Um, the first one is working remotely because of the pandemic which started since last year, a whole lot of things has changed and there has been a whole lot of technological advances. Now people don't have to, some people don't have to go to the office again, but they work from home. 
Whatever they want to do, they do they do it from home, from the comfort of their homes. And technology has really advanced, has helped us here so that people can be able to deliver whatever they want to do right from the comfort of their homes. So this has helped to reduce this has helped to reduce crowd in most um, places of work. Secondly, can you hear me please? Yes, okay. Okay. Secondly, I'll be talking on debt distancing. Even at places of work, um, there is now debt. At before, most workplaces are usually probably very choked. Some are very choked. Some some desks are together. But now, because of the era, the kind of era in which we are in, um, there is now debt distancing. As to ensure that there is enough, there is ample spacing between people who are in the same offices. Then thirdly, I'll be talking on um, outdoor offices. So offices now encourage outdoor offices. Examples are banks. When you go to banks now, you see canopies outside for people to, 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 to at least stay before they can move into the banks. And some other offices too, some registration offices, some offices that deal with registration. They do outdoor offices now because because of so as to reduce sorry so as to reduce crowd in the offices. Then also the fourth I'll be talking on is strict sanitation procedures because of everything boils on the pandemic which has happened. And this we must know that this pandemic has actually caused a whole lot in the office in the in space planning basically so there, there is now strict sanitation procedures in most of our offices now usually before we don't go to offices and have to use hand sanitizers we don't have to go to offices previously we don't have to go to offices and wash our hands but because of the era we are in which is the pandemic era we have to there's the there is the of having to wash our hands first before entering offices and the use of using our nose marks and also having to sanitize our hand before before having to enter some offices or even while in the offices. And then lastly I'll be talking on death sports. Okay, and last I'll be talking on death sports too. Now there has been deaths has been made in a way as to protect people from as protect persons from one another. That is there's this like there's this shield that protects one person from the other so that nothing can be transmitted in offices. So as to keep a saver and um, a saver and um, a good um, a disease-free environment. Thank you. So uh Adamo Jonathan, next to you please. Hello? Hello, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you, thank you, Martins. So I'll be I'll be talking on contemporary workplace space strategy. Uh, before I do that, um, our, our first speaker stated earlier that uh, space, just like land, is scarce. So because of that, we would need to ensure that uh, any usage of space should be for its highest and best use. So I'll be looking at the contemporary ways of uh, 
um, contemporary ways and strategy um, adopted by Hello, Martins. Martins, I will need you to share again, please. I'm sorry. Just go on, Jonathan. I'll need to present it. Exactly. Okay, so I'm going straight up to um, the definition by IFMA in 2014 to get the definition of workplace strategy. Uh, IFMA defined workplace strategy as, as the management of all resources needed to design and maintain appropriate, effective, and economical workplace experience that align to strategic business objectives and support people in doing their best work every day wherever they are. So from this definition, we see that the workplace design must maintain appropriate, effective, and economic. It must be appropriate, it must be effective, and it must be economic. And then it must align to the business strategy. And also, it must also ensure that it is not limited by space. That is, it's, it allows people to work every day and wherever they are. So mathematically, the workplace, uh, the workplace can be represented as workplace strategies plus space plus culture. Contemporary workplace strategy must be cost effective, must be flexible, must be sustainable, it must be sustainable as well. Sustainable in the sense that it brings home uh, the point of uh, the point Adebi was raising earlier on that if a new business is planning on um, getting a space, we should also look at the 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 the, the Aspect of its growth that it also looked at the aspect of growth. You shouldn't assume that the current size is considered to be the same. You also you should also put in mind that uh, the aspect of sustainability. So every work, any contemporary workplace, they must put in mind the aspect of sustainability. So the hallmarks of a productive contemporary workplace includes partial equity. Mark Flynn, your group has spent 25 minutes. You should be conscious oh. of time. Okay, okay. Uh, please, Jonathan, be back with your presentation, please. All right, okay, sir. Please go back, go back to the, la the last slide, Martins. Okay, it must be, comf must be comfortable, it must, it, must has, uh, it must have technological connectivity, reliable and sense of place for the workers. The next slide, Martins. So some of these contemporary strategies are, the first one is hot decks. Hot decks in is a workplace strategy that started in the 90s, and it offers free seating arrangement to employees, allowing them to choose where and how they work within a given office environment. So in the hot decks in, it allows for employees to not have any permanent decks, so when you come in, just like we have in our classes, come in and sit at any position. The worker is allowed to sit at any position. There is no particular position that is left for the, the worker. So it, it was, some of the merits of that is that it helps the workplace uh, to be fixed. Bravo, 30 seconds, please. Companies, eh? 30 seconds. All right. 
And one of the demerits is that poor employee experience and then health. It's, it doesn't, just like Ope was stating now, this is the COVID-19 era. So uh, the hot deck skin doesn't allow for um, health, it doesn't, doesn't allow for good health uh, concern. Uh, another another thing is shared office or co-working. Here, it consists of a wide open plan office that is accompanied by conference room, private offices or cafes. This is the this is the popular office setup that we all know. Of. So it it's, um, 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 offices are unlike the hot desk room. Everybody has his own offices, but there are spaces that are shared, like the conference room and the cafes. The merits and the merits are there. Another one is the touchdown space. It is an unassigned space that provides open seating in varying forms used by externally mobile users, remote users, and visitors to conduct on an irregular basis or for short periods of time. The workstation is there, so it is open or partially enclosed, unassigned. It's the, 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 please, it's don't you, no, 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 please. Just Say, All right. talk about this and let's go to the next uh, question. All right. So, why workplace strategy is important? It is important because it helps reduce real estate and facility costs. It increases organizational agility and flexibility. Employee satisfaction is attained as well when you use the workplace strategy. And also, it helps improve, uh, improve work performance and also allows for improved communication and collaboration. Those are allows for employee work-life balance. Thank you. Okay. Uh, uh, please, ma. The the persons that are supposed to do the conclusion had accident in the presence of our dear Joyce, so she is not in class with us. So I will be handling that ma. with your permission. That's okay, but you need to get her to inform me formally with the evidence. No problem. Uh, well, going by what uh, the group member have said, we can see that uh, office safe space planning is very important to the success of every organization that uh, is uh, whether you are profit oriented or not. So, and then as the same goes, that uh, it will fail to plan as plan to fail. So uh, we believe that uh, the core of any organization activity is centered uh, on office, uh, and then particularly the organization of office in terms of planning and allocation for different purposes. So now, by way of conclusion, I would like to say that office space planning and design project is paramount to the productivity of the workplace at hand, whether big or small. The importance of uh, office-based planning cannot be overruled. So, and so also is the designing of office space too. Designing it how to do in such a way that it will conform with the activities of the organization and also with the goal and the mission of the organization. And uh, according to what one of the presenters said, uh, office-based planning goes beyond the usability. It tells many people about how the organization is in some of the aspects of uh, image making. So now that is why I would say that today the whole world is going through rapid change. Knowledge
knowledge and technology are constantly evolving and rising at a rate that is exponential. The workplace system impacts the sources of businesses and will continue to become complicated. Workplace strategies should really be looked at as a circle and not a one-time decision. And decisions on workplace should be continuously be revised and revisited to accommodate contemporary demand so as to attain the highest and values of workplace. Yes, uh, this uh, statement can be supported with the happening around now. Many offices now have actually changed the way uh, they are in terms of you know, trying to mitigate against the possible infection of uh, COVID-19. Now COVID-19 has brought another thing to the world entirely. That is why now we... Of the workers are guaranteed 
So we'll be talking health and safety. It's actually critical. It's actually key at this point in time. So what does health and safety actually mean? We look at what it, what it actually means. We look at the relevance of health and safety with the facility manager. We look at um, work tips. We look at tips for safe working environment and HSC requirements in workplaces. We look at HSC requirements for handling employees with disability. We also look at regulatory provisions for HSC in Nigeria as well as regulatory provisions for HSC across the globe. But we have specifically reference to the United Kingdom. Why the need for HSC? HSC is brought about by the need to actually ensure that the safety of the workers as well as the environment is guaranteed. Several people have tried to define HSE from different perspectives. We look at the HSE from the perspective of corporate responsibility. A particular author, Spellman, in 2017, defined HSE as the method of anticipating, identifying, and accessing, as well as controlling workplace hazard. I'd love to, I'd love to elaborate more on this. What does it mean to anticipate? And space risk or health and safety hazards. First of all, anticipation of, of risk, risk, risk in an office starts from from the starts, sorry starts from the planning stage of the of, of the office starts from I can no longer hear you. Sorry? Hello? We're losing you in between. We can hear you now, but we lost you for a moment. Okay, okay. So, I said Spellman defined the as a method of anticipating, identifying, assessing, and controlling workplace hazards. It has to do with how, how do we anticipate risks in an, in, an, in an building, in an office? How do you ensure that this risk doesn't affect the health of the workers? Risk can of course in the office from, from the like like the previous group have said from space planning, poorly poorly planned space and cause can create heat, can, can, can create various forms of risk and health hazards to the workers. From the job description, using using unqualified people for a particular tax can also cause some forms of forms of risk and health hazards. From not availability of safety 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 measures or safety signs. But there are lots of sources where we can get risks. So an organization is supposed to identify, to anticipate those risks, assess them, then put measures to control them. So that's, that, that's what Spellman looked at from the definition of from his definition of health and safety. Another definition is the one given by Ali in 2008. He described HSC as the expectation, acknowledgement, as well as the behavior of employees or workers towards Sorry, the mission given by Umar in 2013 described it as anchored on the behavior of workers towards the provisions, rather provisions. How do workers behave? How do, work, how do workers react? How do they implement these provisions that have been made? So it's a standard practice. Health and safety is supposed to be documented, supposed to be it's supposed to be documented, it's supposed to be written, supposed to be communicated. And supposed to be followed to ensure that compliance. Lots of offices these days, lots of offices these put in measures to actually ensure health and safety of the organization. Measures such as aligning with HMOs for the health of, health of their staffs, putting measures such as safety plans 
protect them, personal protective equipment and lock and and other So that's the most likely deals with is unique to every industry, it's unique to several things, depending on depending on the activity of the, the, the company or the activity of the organization. So I'd love to I'd love to invite other of my colleagues to look at of what relevance is HSC to, to, to us as facility managers. What are the tips that we should be what are the what are the working safety safety working tips that we're supposed to follow through? What are the provisions and requirements for, for, for all categories of people, including those with disabilities? And what are the what are the regulations and provisions of law for signing HSE? So I'd like to call my next colleague. Good afternoon, Mark. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Hope Josiah, and I'll be presenting or talking about the relevance of HLC to facilities management. Now, the relevance of HLC to facilities management cannot be overemphasized because employees working in an unsafe um, environment can actually have a negative effect on the productivity, the, prof the profitability, and even the attainment of the organizational goal. Some of the relevance of HLC include um, to provide and maintain equipment and system of work that are safe and without risk to health. It is very important that organizations adopt equipment that do not have negative effects on the employees, both in the short run or in the long run. To provide information and instruction that to provide information, instruction, and supervision necessary to ensure health, health and safety of employee, employees in an organization. Now, this um, instruction, this, um, this um, information, it can be in a visual form, it can be in an audio form to accommodate employees with um, one or two limitations, people that, can, that um, have hearing disabilities, people that um, have um, that are impaired when it comes to sight. A typical example is when you go to some airports, when you go to some restaurants, when you go to some eateries, for example, um, in a situation where the cleaner just finished cleaning the floor, you always see a sign, um, um, wet floor, be careful. And in turn, they provide an alternative route to assess the building. Or even most times, um, another way that um, Another way they can actually go about is making sure that um, is making sure that the fans are turned on so that the floor can actually dry very quickly. Another relevance is um, to ensure the progressive identification and assessment of all risks and their elimination of control. Now, just like the example I have actually given, now the um, the employer is able to identify that a wet floor can lead to. Um, someone tripping off and that can actually be harmful. It can lead to one breaking his or her arms, leg, or as the case may be. And how are they able to eliminate this? They are able to eliminate this by providing an alternative route and they are able to control this by making sure that, that um, the fans, the ACs are turned on while cleaning so it can actually dry um, so quickly. Um, another example is to ensure that effective arrangement exists to deal with um, any emergency. In an organization, no one actually planned for all this to happen, but when it happens, what are the, um, what are the ways to, to go about it? Some of them can be, especially in an organization that is prone to fire outbreak. It can be provision of fire extinguisher. It can be 
provision of multiple exits. It can be provision of a multiple points where incidents um, occur. Everyone ensures to gather at that point in time. It can also be um, being able to always um, reach the fire service within that lo locality or being able to easily access hospitals should anything of that um, nature occur to ensure that the next um, relevance is to ensure that effective arrangements exist to deal with an emergency. An emergency. Just like I said earlier, this can actually happen when um, fire extinguishers can be provided uh, and the rest. Um, another relevance is to ensure that the employees and volunteers are required to work safely and cooperate with management. Um, the, 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 the safety of um, an organization is not just dependent on the department of HLC, but also the employers or whoever or the occupiers of that um, organization need to um, be trained on how on how to use um, um, various appliances should anything of such occur and how can all this be achieved? It can be achieved by you know training the staffs. It can be achieved by encouraging stretch breaks in between them um, working as Another example, another relevance is to comply with statutory requirements as a minimum standard. The word minimum is very important to take note of. Um, if the regulatory standard states that, for example, in an organization should have nothing less than a two-fire extinguisher, you can go above that. You can, you can actually provide even more than that at a place that can easily be assessed by the employees of such organizations should, in case anything of um, um, that nature should occur. Another um, um, example I want to give uh, when it comes to providing information and instruction. Um, most times um, we find ourselves in an organization that deals with hazardous substances that can, it can take the form of solid, it can take the form of liquid and even a gaseous form. Um, so all this should be properly labeled and keep, oh, it, can, it should be properly labeled or keep the safety data it is very important to keep the safety data of all this. Most times you walk into a pharmacies, um, you find out that maybe you're requesting for a particular drug. They might, they might actually check the shelf and they don't find it there. And you, you end up seeing such a pharmacies going through the system. All those are safety data to check if either that drug is available, when it will be restocked. And as the case may be, all these are ways to ensure that um, all these are importance of HLC um, to facilities management. At this point in time, I would like to invite my colleague to speak on the tips for safe working environment and HLC requirements in workplace. Thank you very much, Ma. Thank you very much, everyone. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Wendemiyan. I'll be talking on the tips for safe working environment and also on the safety requirements for work that's feasible. So, the tips, tips for safe working environment, I'll go ahead and list seven. Number one, employers should endeavor to give their employees adequate safety training. Number two, em, em, employees should implement safety protocols from the start by hiring qualified people who pay attention to details. Number three, levels and signs can be used to communicate important information and save as a good reminder to workers. Number four, Workers, workplace should always be kept neat and clean to avoid spills and other hazards. Number five, employees should be given the right tools and have frequent equipment inspections to ensure that the tools and equipment are cleaned and serviced. Number six, stretch breaks should also be encouraged. Number seven, 
have good team meetings on what they said. Speaking of, about this, I would like to use them. There's something international companies do. Let me use ExxonMobil, for example. They usually have regular meetings. They have weekly meetings, daily meetings, and monthly. And also before you are employed, you usually have to go through safety training before you are employed. The weekly meeting is going on. Sometimes, every day you have a work to do. Like, let's say the contractors are coming in. You have to go through the, um, the training. You have to remind it about what you're supposed to do and see that you know what it is because they have a very good set culture. And also they do these um, emergency drills that to check from time to time, sometimes we want to or by monthly or annually. What they do is the idea behind it is so that the workers don't know engage what the workers or how prepared the workers are. So from time to time to do it, sometimes you are being told things to be done, sometimes you are not told. So just see how prepared the workers are. And then going ahead to talk about safety requirement for handling workers with disabilities. Um, the word disabled means different things to different people. When disability is mentioned, usually people friendly picture wheelchairs, guide dogs, and other obvious examples of disability. However, not all disabilities can be seen by just looking at the worker. For example, not all workers with mobility issues require a wheelchair. Some people use canes, crutches, or working aid. Some may not require aid, but they are unable to feel mobile. And um, also, um, workers with, or not all visually impaired workers are completely blind. Some workers may have um, underlying medical condition, which can also be claimed as disabilities. Um, for example, people with professional asthma may be completely free of symptoms as long as they are working in an area that is free from irritants. I'll go ahead to um, give them um, some examples of disabilities that workers experience and a few suggestions to change and make the workplace safer for them. So um, we spoke on, I spoke on mobility issues earlier on. And so for that, you could have them, um, you could remove and um, take carpets and ensure proper cleaning and help workers. Like ensure proper cleaning of the workplace to help workers with mobility issues. Also, um, issue with doors. Um, doorway can be, be automatically, um, you could install doorways that can automatically open and also uh, all with buttons. It will help to reduce um, restrictions when moving between rooms. And for those with hearing limitation, um, the flashing lights could be installed in work areas and also in the bathrooms. The idea behind it is that so even if you're not hearing well, you can see the lights and um, and it helps you to know, you already know what the light means, and so it helps you to move fast. But for those that, for those that cannot afford it, um, a co-worker could be assigned to ensure that anyone with hearing impairment is made aware of what's happening. And um, for those with vision impairment, you know, you could, um, employees could employ using brightly colored tips. It can help the um, workers to identify them where they are and what next to do. So um, go ahead to do um, difference in towels. You know, so when you move from one town to the other, you know, okay, um, this is this area and this is not this area. And then also emergency preparedness. Um, while most of all we've, um, the examples you've given can help the day-to-day -day operation um, and evacuation, or day-to-day -day operations, it's also crucial that emergency and evacuation 
emergency time evacuation plans take into account um, all possible and um, all possible all workers in place take into account all workers in place if possible a body system can be can be employed so the idea behind it is and um, in case of emergency some people look up for other people look for people that have disabilities so um, one or two person can help those that cannot see or that is all. So now I invite my colleague to take the next Thank you. Hello, good afternoon, ma'am. Good afternoon, class. Um, I'd like to talk on, I will be speaking on the HSE regulations in Nigeria and um, UK. So HSC regulations in Nigeria, as we all know, is still at its budding phase, with most of the regulations being adaptations from the from developed nations, most especially the UK, due to the colon, colonization factor. So the 1999 Constitution of the Federal Republic of Nigeria in Section 17, Subsection 3, specifically made mention that the states should direct its policy towards ensuring that the health, safety, and welfare of all persons in employment are safeguarded and not abused or endangered. And um, in Nigeria, there are quite a number of HSC regulations. I need to see you better, so maybe you should move your screen down, maybe. Is this okay? All right. So in Nigeria, there are quite a number of HSC regulations, but the three most notable regulations in Nigeria are the Factory Act of 2004, the Labor Act of uh, 2004, and the Employees' Compensation Act of 2010. So the Factory Act of 2004 is actually a localized version of the UK Factory Act of 1961. Like I said earlier, most of the regulations are adaptations of um, regulations from developed nations. So the Factory Act is a localized version of the UK Factory Act of 1961. And uh, the Factory Act, as the parts two, three, and four are concerned with HSE, as well as that is the welfare of the workers. So some of the specific sections of the Act that deals with HSE includes section 35, and this deals with uh, prevention of fire outbreaks in the work environment S section 36 deals with the safety provisions in case of fire outbreaks and um, section 47 deals with protective clothing and appliances in the work environment so the another regulation for nigeria is the employees compensation act of 2010 so this is targeted towards the payment of compensation to workers that sustain injuries or suffer from occupational diseases or deaths at their workplace. Uh, the, the funds for this for this compensation are managed by the by the National Social Insurance Trust, that's the NSIT, and it's it's called the NSITF, the National Social Insurance Trust Fund. So this act was actually promulgated to ensure a better quality of life for citizens of 
a country and workers in an in an in an organization. So, but from every indication, it can be seen that this this act is is, is quite reactive rather than being proactive, as it is aimed at providing remedy or compensation after the harm has been done. So it is aimed at compensating after the harm has been done. So it is more reactive than proactive. Then another act is um, the Labor Act of 2004. The Labor Act of 2004 provides comprehensive legislation on conditions of, of work and employment. So the sections in this Labor Act that covers for health, health and safety Section 13, um, subsection 3, and same section 13, subsection 5. So, section 13, subsection 3 looks at the time breaks during work hours. So, it says that when a person is working for an extended period of time, that there should be it, there should be time breaks within that to let the person rest for a bit. Same thing also with what the subsection 5 is is providing. The only uh, the only week to the subsection 5 is that it looks at uh, the subsection 3 it looks at working daily so in a day you should provide at least one hour break for anybody working for extended period of time our subsection 5 looks at if they are working for straight weeks they should they need breaks in between um, and now look at the regulations for the UK so UK UK the, the tradition of health and safety regulation in UK it's as far back as 150 years ago, um, the present system came into being with the Health and Safety at Work Act, as the Health and Safety at Work Act of 1974. So the, this, the Health and Safety at Work Act of 1974 has its has section two, seven, and eight covering HSD, and these sections uh, they provide for the duties of employees and employers to the owners, managers, and maintain, maintainers of work premises as the, the duties of the employees and employers to the person maintaining the work environment. Then another, another regulation is the Display Screen Equipment Regulation of 1992, which was amended as of 2002. So this protects workers that use uh, display screen equipment, that is laptops, phones, or tablets for extended period of time. So. An extended period of time, according to the Act, is um, defined as an hour or more. So, if if anyone using that at its workplace for an hour or more needs to the work, they need to implement this Act in ESE Regulation of 1992. And also, there is the Personal Protective Equipment Regulation of 2018, uh, the PPE of 2018. This one is quite significant in organizations that work with risky risky uh, or hazardous substances for instance let's say factories that that use chemicals in their production so they need to have this act so they need they need to implement this act in their workplace and there's also the management of health and safety act at work regulation of 1999 the management and safety at work regulation of 1999 so from this, we can see that the, the UK has a number of acts which guide their which guide their which they, they which guide their HSA requirements in the country. So I'd like to call on the next speaker to talk more on the comparison. Thank you.
called afternoon man. I have an observation. The are we still applying the 20 minutes for presentation, ma? Supposed to be applying it, yes. Okay, ma, because uh, if, uh, we, yeah, we were not spent 24 minutes, we were not given this opportunity, ma. You spent 28 minutes, yeah, I spent 24. Okay, ma. Yes. All right, thank you. So, as a form of comparison, and uh, it's notable to note that. Where Nigeria you should be rounding up very soon to a little room. All right, ma'am. Thank you very much. You have 15 minutes and you have spent 24. So it impacts on your timeliness. I hope you all understand that. All right. So uh, speaking to the comparison, um, notable to note, as my colleague mentioned, is that Nigerian laws actually takes credence from that of the United Kingdom. And also, uh, when we did our research, we did find out that uh, where Nigeria stipulates laws on how to remedy, how to compensate employees, that's in the Employee Compensation Act, it doesn't take, it, it takes a position of reactive rather than proactive, where the uh, UK Act comes through. And uh, it had been seen that there are very little, there are cases of um, persecution for people with defaults in the United Kingdom compared to our climate in Nigeria, there is the Labour Act, but there's no enforcement, there's no regulation of this. Where the United Kingdom has over 368 forms of legal enforcement authorities, we do not have any to boast of here in Nigeria. The extent, or rather the scope of which facilities are also defined in Nigeria are quite limited, as it doesn't cover the construction industry, which we happen to be a part of, but in the UK, it covers as, many, as much facilities, even to retail, to finance, to mining, to uh, nuclear activities even. So with this, we can see that there's still room for improvement in our hearts. And uh, despite the fact that we are not, our laws do not have quite a number of uh, laws or pro provisions in the laws that make references to peculiar situations in our crime, uh, we see most of most times that industry will take credence from existing laws in other countries, especially the United Kingdom. And uh, one would say that where there is no law, there is no offense, right? So that is one of the reasons why we see that a lot of times employers or employees who default or who do wrong are usually not persecuted. To this end, we encourage everyone uh, that while make, uh, doing their day-to-day -day activities, we have described here to a large extent, the relevance to which HS is important in to a facility manager and even in facilities management. We have also tried to show the different tips uh, that employers, employees can use to invite the culture of HSC, health and safety, health and safety and environment, in the activities, in the day-to-day -day activities of their staff, and how we can cater for disabled amongst the employees or employers that one would have, and. Um, as a recommendation, we stated earlier that while credence, uh, while we make references to uh, regulations in other countries, particular action should be taken by employers to ensure that they meet the standards and do not default. Thank you. Thank you. You also spent 28 minutes to note that it has impacted on your time. Although other aspects are okay, you are okay. 
the next groups that we'll be presenting will be more conscious of their time. Um, let's start taking the three. I just wanted to ask, after the presentation, can we turn off our video so you can know those, those that are presenting, the group members that are presenting? Yes, you can. Okay, thank you. You can. Um, also, uh, let me say this. Um, Pastor, please take a screenshot of the attendance and send you the recording when you are doing that. Um, because of my meeting, which I'm already running late into. We'll just take presentations today and the critics and the, the critics and the, uh, assessment of our individual presentation will take place uh, next week by the grace of God. So let's uh, after. Uh, with due respect, uh, next week is uh, exam. We'll be starting exam by Monday next Okay, let's try and fix a bit during this week when we can take the presentation. Not Thursday, um, perhaps. Uh, um, okay, um, let me see my timetable. So we'll look at maybe Thursday, which is tomorrow, or. Um, so between tomorrow and Saturday, I'll get back to you on my free time in the mornings so that we can uh, catch up on that. Okay, so group three, please present. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Ifa Uluwa Sami, the group leader of Group three. Um, then the topic given to us was indoor air quality and sick breathing syndrome. Um, there were five subtopics in this topic, and it was shared among each group member to research upon. And the first person I'll be speaking or presenting will be um, Okay for Lashade. Mrs. Okay, over to you. Three minutes, please. Okay, for lunch, Shadi. This is okay. Sorry, I'm sorry, I was muted. Good afternoon, ma'am. Good afternoon, class. This afternoon, I'll be talking on uh, the concept of. Please, three minutes. Okay. The concept of indoor hair quality, indoor hair contaminants, and the importance of indoor hair quality to facility management. By way of introduction, we know that poor indoor air quality can be a significant health, environmental, and economic problem. And this has become a public health and ability issue for building users and building managers. So what does um, indoor air quality, what does it mean? It refers to the air quality within and around buildings and structures 
particularly as it relates to the health, comfort, and well-being of building occupants. Having a good flow of hair quality throughout the building is essential to the achievement of facility users' objective. Now, when priority is given to indoor air quality, there will be a supply of fresh indoor hair, and it minimizes the risk of indoor uh, it minimizes the risk of indoor um, air pollution, you know, indoor air quality being contaminated by different sources of air pollution. And breathing in quality here, quality indoor air is critical to good health, achievement of users' uh, objective, and it contributes to the prevention of sick building syndrome. You know, there are three major reasons for poor indoor air quality within building facilities and they have the presence of indoor hair pollution sources, different contaminants coming from different uh, sources into the building. And uh, we have poorly designed, maintained or operated, venti or operated ventilation system within a facility. And of course, the last one is uses of building that were unanticipated or poorly planned for when the building was designed or renovated. And um, for instance, in that instance, you know, when the residential building designed for a family of six is converted into a school, which now has over 100 students. Of course, having a good balance of indoor air quality within that facility will take uh, extra effort. And no wonder, you know, students come down with different kind of sicknesses, you know, once they get to the school because of uh, the flow of hair. Now moving on to uh, indoor hair contaminants. You know, the first thing I mentioned about the sources of uh, indoor hair, things that can affect indoor hair, is uh, pollution from different sources. And uh, pollution are contaminants. What is contaminants? The substance or group or substance that is present within a facility but that is not supposed to be there and is present in such a level that it has negative effects on the health of facility users. And this can be physical, it can be chemical and biological. This will be discussed extensively in the course of the presentation. So, the um, indoor air quality access the building. It can access the building, you know, through openings, entry into the building and Indoor contaminants can be generated within the building. In, in, uh, in a building where we have a different section of the building being used for different uh, purposes, like when you have a restaurant within a building facility, you know, um, contaminants can be generated or even from generator film and all that. And what is the essence of knowing about the indoor air quality to, the fa to facility management? Before we go into full detail, the first one will be that it is important to you know that facility management or facility managers understand that poor indoor hair quality has been linked to sick building syndrome. It has been linked to reduced productivity and impaired learning, you know, in schools. And also, um, health effects. There are health effects to poor indoor hair quality, and this will be experienced soon after exposure or possibly years later. In the immediate effects, you know, it, 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 can, it can result into maybe like itchy hair, people come up with cold and cutter. But in the long-term effects, you know, long after the person has been exposed to, to, the, to bad indoor hair quality, it can lead to 
uh, respiratory diseases, heart diseases, even cancer. So this is important that uh, facility managers take this into effect because uh, it will be a sad situation whereby people use the facility and they come down uh, sick or drop dead just by having access to that facility. Another important reason is that you know, this knowledge prevents uh, the building from becoming functionally obsolete. Like the example I gave, you know, about um, converting a residential building into a school, you know, that have more crowd. And um, and in other in, in other situations, some facilities are not able to to the, the issues with the hair, with the ventilation are not able to be corrected. And you know, you have uh, such facility going years without people uh, coming to rent them, you know, which is a loss, an economic loss to the owners of the building. So it is important that we factor in indoor hair quality from the houses of the construction. And also, it helps facility managers to identify the sources and causes of poor indoor hair quality and to provide solution. And that is why it is always emphasized that at the procurement uh, stage, of a building, it is important that facility management or facility manager is present so that they are able to to factor in all this that can cause um, bad uh, indoor hair quality later. And lastly, it helps facility managers in the preparation of preventive or corrective maintenance management of facility against poor indoor hair quality. We know that. Uh, then uh, our air conditioners needs to be sampled from time to time because they are also a good source of inter indoor air contaminants. So my colleague will, will go on with the telling us more about indoor air contaminants. Um, next will be Madam Dola Farai. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, while my colleague has spoken about the concept, can you can we all hear me, please? Yeah, yeah. While my colleague has spoken on the concept of indoor hair contaminants and the concept of indoor hair itself, um, I'll go further and talk more about the various types of indoor hair contaminants and their sources. Um, there is no building from what we have found that, that is without um, any form of contaminants. It might be significant, it might be insignificant. Um, however, um, we have tried to classify, we have attempted to classify, according to some of the materials we've seen online, um, the various types of indoor air contaminants. And from what we found, we have. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Yes, we can hear so from what we've been able to find out, uh, we found that it can be classified according to the origin and to the state of matter. Besides that, other, some other scholars have tried to classify it according to the peculiarities of um, the nation, either as a developed nation or as a developing nation. But, hello, can you hear me, please? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. So going on, um, okay, thank you. Going on, um, the classification according to the origin can be contaminants. Now, what are primary contaminants? Primary contaminants basically is 
contaminants pass into the air unaltered. They are passed into the air as they are produced. An example is dust or ash or itself carbon dioxide, and they're usually in insignificant quantities and probably unharmful to the health, but they still exist as contaminants. While we also have secondary contaminants, which um, they rely on interaction with other contaminants. So contaminant A and contaminant B coming together to form a chemical reaction, with a chemical reaction happening and forming a more toxic contaminant. And we have some of these as um, hydrocarbons from automobiles and others. Um, to, to, to go further, um, state, this, the classification for the state of the matter, it could be gaseous and it could be a particulate pollutant, it could be aerosols or metallic components, and some of these things are the most commonest things we find in our homes or in our buildings, offices, that we neither pay attention to or give cognizance to. Um, we also went further, apart from classifying this, we went further to highlight the key contaminants we find in our buildings and we also modified the table to present it as a primary contaminant coming as a contaminant that is unaltered or a secondary contaminant that has had an interaction with another type of contaminant making it further toxic and some of these contaminants we there are lots of them but i'll just speak it to we have radon this it's a it's a gaseous um it's a gas and it is tasteless and odorless, and senses of human beings cannot actually identify that there is a contaminant there. So there are specific ways to check this in a building. We also have volatile and semi-organic compounds found in our consumer products, furnitures, and other forms of consumables in the building. And uh, we also have asbestos and aldehydes, pesticides, leads, and all of these have their sources from the common sources or components of a building that we usually see every day, our doors, our furnitures, or when we go out and we could bring some of these things on the clothing we go out with, um, for those who smoke uh, tobacco and also from cooking within our kitchens or catering within the house, that's from combustion and heat, it could be it could be any, I mean, regular um, activity that that we do in the house, and some of these things contribute to primary and secondary indoor um, contaminants. Aside from other biological contaminants that we have um, from animals, for um, buildings that have dogs, the securities, or individuals who own animals and pets in their apartments and all of that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Um, would you? Would you? Yeah, so, okay. Um, this is a Thank you. Um, I will be talking about um, the prevention of indoor air contaminants. And also, I'll be stating alongside um, its health effects um, because according to who, um, according to when, um, Shadi introduced, she made us known. Um, now, no, a lot of people die um, because of this reason, which is 4.3 million according to you. So, I'll go straight into it and I'll be, um, I'll be talking about the volatile organic compounds, which comes in forms of alkaline 
um, alcohols and ketones. Um, so the effect, because basically these things have um, this um, um, indoor air contaminants have a lot, they have a lot of uh, health effects ranging from um, malaria to allergic reactions to skin rash to asthma. So I'll just go into it. So the health effect of um, volatile organic compounds usually are um, irritation of the eyes, um, respiratory tract, um, headache, dizziness, loss of coordination, uh, uh, makes you feel uh, nauseated, um, blood system and central nervous system affects them. And um, the ways to prevent the, the ways to prevent um, the volatile organic compounds from affecting our um, our in, um, indoor health. The use of output products according to manufacturer discretion um, directions. Of course, we know a lot of us get um, product and we don't go through the manual. Um, also, make sure to provide plenty of fresh air when using this product. Um, throw away used or little used container safely. Um, buy in quantities that can soon be used. You don't need to buy when especially when we're using um, the volatile organic product. We don't need to buy. Um, then it's buy a lot of this product. So just to prevent um unusage of them, to keep out of it, children, which is normal with this product, usually need to keep um, a lot of product out of it because they don't know um, the appropriate usage of this product. Then we should never mix um household care products unless directed on the label. So we need to always follow prescription given on this product. So the next one will be the formal um pressed wood products. Um, we come from a use of solid fields indoors, multiple net future. And I feel that in the part of the country, especially in the rural areas, um, mosquito coils are being used a lot. So what are the um health in addition of the ice nose and throat skin rash, asthma and other allergic reactions? Human beings have different reactions to different foods. So the prevention, to, um, we need people that tend to use this, we need to reduce the, the rate at which we use them and um, the rate at which we are exposed to it. We need to provide adequate ventilation when making use of this of this product um, to maintain moderate temperature and humidity. Um, to keep them um, to, to to have a good um, temperature when using them. So thirdly, the um, biological pollutants. Which can be form of water, damaged surfaces, um, and materials, and also stagnant water. Um, the um, health effects are malaria, skin irritation, and skin rash. Um, the ways for me to, to prevent them is encasing mattresses and pillows. That means when we get our pillows, make sure they are covered with clothes. Uh, washing, bedding with hot water, yes, when we uh, wash in the case and stuff like that, we need to wash them with water so the jams are cheap properly. They are consequent vacuuming, dry, damp mopping, closing clutter, and then doing that. The next one is radon, which um, um, my, this, uh, my previous leader stated in Asia's picture. Um, the health effect is, um, is a problem because it's a lung cancer in especially. It is recommended, that's the prevention, it's recommended that bones be treated for random on the, on the lowest leaf. Okay, that's usually on the ground floor of the building. Um, the, the homes should be treated um, frequently. Um, so to carry out the test to ascertain if, uh, if there's an exposure to it. Then lastly, uh, 
carbon dye, carbon monoxide and pesticides, which can become a gas, leaking channels, um, very poor exhaust in post storage and tobacco smoke. Um, what, what are the health effects, acute poisoning, um, the same um, being allergic to it, and general symptoms, which we all know as um, as um, lung cancer and lung, we know what um, smoke does to people. So the prevention, prevention is to keep so burning appliance for looking condition, anything that can be used that that has to do with stroke, we need to keep them in very good condition, we need to keep them regularly. We should check our eating system, that's the change and depends regularly to make sure that they Never burn charcoal indoors. So every charcoal, every time we put outdoors, you never leave the car running with the Consider carbon monoxide detectors and reduce the use of them. Hello. Uh, to prevent 
sick bleeding syndrome, there should be regular um, inspection to indicate for the presence of molds and toxics. Um, regular maintenance of all bleeding mechanical systems, and then there should be replacement of water stained ceilings that are and uh, ceilings that are stained with water, and also the removal of carpets. Um, the HVAC, which is a heating, ventilation, and air condition, should be properly maintained, and also should be cleaned for a good air conditioning system to be in the building. Then they should replace also for those that have offices at home or in the office area, to replace uh, office printers and you should replace office printers with low emission rate printers. Uh, okay, that should be. And then by way of conclusion, it's important, the importance of having a good flow of indoor air quality within facilities and the importance to the success of facility management cannot be emphasized. Uh, it should remain at the top corner of facility management in order to achieve the objective of successful integration of people, place, and processes within the building for enhanced productivity and organization performance. Thank you. Um, can we have the four? members
Good afternoon, ma'am. Good afternoon. Yes, My name is Goloba Yorinde, and um, our group is presenting performance measurement in facility management. And um, we're starting off by talking about the concept of facility management. Now, facility performance measurement is needed as a result of making informed decisions. It is needed because facility managers, companies need to stay in business. They need to make this performance measurement, okay, performance measurement, in order to satisfy their customers and even exceed their expectation. So it is in view of this that um, the, the, the performance measurement came about. And um, it is um, as, as, as direct as possible. It is the measurement of performance, of building performance, of facility performance, rather. And uh, this is uh, a process of determining how successful an organization or individuals have been in uh, attaining their objectives and strategy. And um, we'll, we'll move on by saying why the need for performance measurement. We, we, we've talked about what performance measurement is, but why do we need to carry out performance measurement? Performance measurement is needed in order to, to know how well a company or a firm is doing relative to their service, to the services being provided. They need to also find out if they have outsourced what their service providers are providing to their clients or to their end users, how they can rate those services. And um, we, we can also say that um, the performance measurement basically have um, the, 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 the three components, which, which we call as the physical, the, 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 the functional, and and the and the financial. Sorry, I didn't put up my video, so I want to do that just now. So, just like I was saying, the physical performance measurement is talking about mainly the fabrics of the building, the components, the the heating, the lightning, the durability, the maintenance of the physical component or physical structure of, of the facility, while the functionality of it is mainly about the, the, the how well services provided or components are serving the purpose for which they have been, they are, they are been installed to do. Be assessed in related in relation to is the cost. So, as for the end user's satisfaction.
need to be conscious of time, Oloba. You are stalling too much. Yes, uh, I will carry on from here, ma'am. My name is Taiwo Urokorotimi. I'll be looking at the challenges of uh, uh, performance measurement. And uh, due to the pandemic or what is happening today, we know that uh, the pandemic actually affected every aspect of the world, including facilities and others. Meanwhile, we have uh, part of the challenges is a uh, limited knowledge and training on performance measurement. Even before the pandemic, we have seen a lot of challenges. And with this pandemic, it also shows that uh, the facility manager have to be equipped with uh, other skills. And for any organization to succeed, there is a need to have qualified personnel with professional skills. Over time, the duty of facility manager and the property manager have been mistaken for one another. Where facility manager think as an emperor uh, in a built environment, whereas most of the function is just beyond its scope. And we also believe that some of these implications of this is uh, the, the property manager will end up making uh, short-time decisions uh, for long-time processes. Then we also have lack of formal procedure for setting up performance framework. Uh, for any effective performance measurement, the first requirement is to set up the goals aimed at improving the building performance over its life cycle. However, what we have seen is a situation whereby facility manager only set up the performance measurement in relation to the control of the building without recourse to the facility life cycle. And we also have for uh, absence of uh, uh, integration. From what my colleague was trying to explain earlier, we've seen physical, functional, and uh, uh, financial. And uh, for this to be effective and efficient, performance measurement system has to be integrated with the strategic planning and human resources, as well as with organization culture, structure, system, and uh, processes, because we believe that uh, what is applicable to one organization might not be the same thing. So we need to look at some of this integration, the one that favor the culture and the processes of each organization. Then the major one here is the inadequate use of uh, technology. Uh, of course, even if you don't want to use technology before with what is happening now, that everybody have to work from home, we know that now everybody have to be conversant or know how to use uh, ICT, especially some organization. We have seen uh, banks uh, using uh, bank apps in order to ease uh, uh, transaction. Uh, meanwhile, in uh, performance uh, measurement, we've not seen anything like that. And the reason for this is, uh, especially in developing country like our, is uh, a poor physical infrastructure, particularly with respect to irregular power supply. There's lack of political will. There's low data network, just as what we are having as we want to do presentation now, and inadequate uh, available software. And we believe the application of ICT will help to easily transform data into information that will improve facility performance as a lower cost. Then other one are uh, emphasis on the short time and not a long time, just as I've explained earlier. We have lack, lack of uh, government recognition Recently, we see uh, a court uh, declaring the legal state government to monitor the activities of Estes of and Valois. 
Meanwhile, in the aspect of performance measurement, we've not had anything about it. And we believe this is the best time for government to come in and regulate the activities of uh, performance measurement. Then wrong, uh, wrong design, and we have incompetent facility manager. However, some of these performance measurement, we have technique and models that we use in uh, measuring the performance measurement. Uh, I would like uh, to call on my colleague, Abiodun Lalire, to show more light on the models. Thank you. Abiodun, please unmute. Hello, good, good afternoon, everybody. I'll be speaking on INS and on three performance models, which are INS and marketing the performance model, the post-occupancy evaluation technique, and the balance card technique. So I'll start with the INS and marketing performance. This, this is done management by various. It's contributing contribution to the key performance is in the development of the key performance indicator model. These key performance indicator models are used by the government to measure performance and the measure performance of building, the performance of the staff, and also other things. Um, I move to um, the post-occupancy evaluation model. The post-occupancy evaluation Technique. Olari, Madam, Olari, please. Throughout the building life cycle, we have of the idea. Hello, ma'am. Hello. 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 Of technical performance of the building. We have three types of um, post-occupancy evaluation. We have indicative, we have the investigative, and we have the, um, the diagnostic. Also, I'll move on to the balance scorecard technique. The balance scorecard technique is basically a strategy. It's basically a strategic performance management system. It integrates the traditional financial measures with operational and consumer and customer and issues, which are vital to both and non fitness. Excuse me, following. Class Red, please ask for Larry to mute himself or you mute everybody else. Because he's interfering with the presentation. Okay. Presenter, please continue. Um, I think he's experiencing network difficulties, so I'll carry on, ma. He was 
talking about the balance scorecard technique and um, the balance scorecard technique it's, it's okay there are three components of the scorecard module It helps to strategic goals. It helps to determine action plans. It helps compare definite metrics. According to the Harvard Business, most business is about eight of businesses use the balance scorecard technique for their performance, set goals, action plan, and the rest. So we have four perspectives, and these are the customer, the internal. Learning and growth. What, what what are the existing customers? What value do they expect from us? What value do they want from us? That those are the questions we ask here. In the internal processes, what are the processes we are going to excel at to achieve our financial and um about the benchmarking and other key performance models. Yes, ma. Um, my name is Daniela Shredo, and I'll continue from where Abdul Jola really stopped. So the benchmarking technique is an is essentially a cost reduction method. It's a multiple-step process that allows an organization to compare the aspects of performance, identify the differences within their within what they offer and okay, ma, yeah. access opportunities for improvement, implement the change and monitor outcome. It should all begin with an internal evaluation comparing performance matrices of your own organization over time. And these matrices include operating costs, space utilization, operations and maintenance activities, also the moves and facility management staffing. So this technique essentially uses a um, cost reduction method to monitor the progress of an organization. The next model is the service quality model, also known as SafeQual. It's a model that provides service firm and retailers a structured approach to assess the set of factors that influence customers' perception of firms and overall service delivery. The SafeQual may be used to track service quality trends over time, compare branches within a bank or a building society, compare an organization with its competitors, and categorize customers into quality segments based on their individual scores. There are five dimensions to the self-core model, which is which can be better under explained using the R-A-T-E-R-S letters. R stands for reliability. And this means that we expect that firms' ability to perform their services accurately and dependably. A is for assurance. In, in, in um, explaining assurance, we need to know that knowledge of employees in each organization and their ability to inspire trust and confidence. T is for tangibles, which refers to physical facilities, 
equipment and appearance of personnel in each organization. E is for empathy, which means caring and individual attention to customers or clients. The last letter, which is R, stands for responsiveness, and it is the willingness to help customers and prompt services. To further um, explain the self-care model, we as a group have decided to look at the banking industry and then um, as from a customer point of view, we decided to access a particular bank, Guarantee Trust Bank, to um, using these dimensions in the self-care model. So in terms of reliability, we can say that the bank is reliable and, and they provide alternative methods of banking like POS, online banking, cashless withdrawals and all of that. In terms of assurance, the bank also scores a good point there because they assure customers of rendering good services and so far banking with them has been great. Tangibles, they also have um, different branches and then things that help um, things that help customers, um, things that make their um, services accessible to customers. In terms of empathy, they also provide alternatives for people that that probably um, they provide um, ramps for wheelchair accessibility and the rest of them. So in terms of responsiveness as well, they also attend to customers, but they have um, some weakness in that and they can also work on that. The next model is called SEFPEF. That's the service performance model. This was established as a criticism of the service quality model. But the service performance model measures quality as an attitude instead of satisfaction, which is measured with the earlier model I just said, but uses an idea of perceived service quality leading to satisfaction. So the self-perf also uses the the rater, that's the reliability, assurance, tangibles, empathy and responsiveness, but goes on to um to to use attitude instead of just responsiveness of customer. So I would like to um allow my colleague to Round off on this, far we conclude as a group. Thank you very much. So we've gone through performance measurement in facility management. And uh, from our research, from our study, we found out that um, facility management is still in a budding state in Nigeria. And as such, performance measurement is not expressly stated or is not even expressly applied to Nigerian facilities. Uh, we, we discovered that even the few ones that carried out that do carry out that, that carry out performance measurement do it by by default. It's, it's not as if they are stating it in their books that we are carrying out or we are using um, self core or we are using benchmarking or the rest. The, the most common ones are benchmarking and self core, but it is not expressly stated in their books when measuring performance. And um, they, what they do at best is just to ensure that their customers are satisfied. So they get feedback from their customers and take on the take on the negativities from there, work on it, and ensure they improve on those things. We, we however, recommend that in view of this, firms to ensure that they study performance measurements and apply it as appropriate. We should also ensure that um, knowledgeable professional facility managers are employed so as to make informed decisions, make projections, and help the facility work better. We also conclusively recommend that um, performance measurements should be carried out promptly 
to ensure efficiency and effectiveness in measuring performance in facilities management. Thank you for listening.